Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Today, I'm so thrilled to have Anu Pala, uh, my friend, sitting in for Rubina. Uh, she was unavailable, and Anu, who's in Canada, agreed to um, to co-host with me today. So I'm so thrilled to have her here again. How are you doing, Anu? Thank you so much. I'm doing excellent, uh, Phyllis, and thanks uh, for the opportunity again. It's always great to come onto the show. Yeah, uh, we've become friends, so it's uh, it's nice. So it's nice to have that uh, have that opportunity, so that we can talk about the important topics on the show as well as we do off the show. And and today we really do have a very important topic on um, mental health in older adults. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, mental health is one of those topics that we really don't talk about very much, even though it, it impacts so many of us. Absolutely. So today um, we have with us Teresa Nguyen. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. Uh, Teresa joins us from Mental Health America. She's a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of experience in mental health as a clinician, educator, and advocate. And her clinical experience focuses on working with children and adults with serious mental illness, homelessness, dual diagnosis treatment, and early intervention of psychosis. At Mental Health America, Teresa works to improve access to mental health care through policy and programming, and she manages programs that look at how people seek and get support online, how data can help us solve population health challenges across the country, and innovations in programs using peer support specialists. So I'm so thrilled that she's here with us today. And, you know, Anu, you're in Canada, so I'm sure you experience, um, have had experience with people who have um, mental health issues in adulthood. Have you not? Absolutely. I mean, as you know, I have worked with seniors uh, and do work with seniors. And so we do see it often show up in different ways, different forms. And so this topic is actually very um, interesting to me because um, I'm always open and interested in learning more about mental health because there are, I mean, so many of these diagnoses, not only diagnosis, but uh, symptoms, I should say, sorry, that we don't know what um, what the diagnosis is. And so the more information we have about it, the more better support we can give our clients. Um, I saw a lot of uh, clients with dementia, for example. Um, I've known people that have uh, schizophrenia. And I mean, there's lots of mood disorders. And so... Um, it, it like I said, it's a, such a huge topic, and so hopefully uh, Teresa can help us break some of this down, and and we can start, um, you know, having this, this conversation. So I'm going to ask you, Teresa. First of all, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for hi. being here today. Yes, hi everybody, Teresa. Thanks for having me. This is a real pleasure. It's a pleasure for us, actually. <laughs> Tell me, Teresa, how, what led you in this arena of mental health? 
Oh gosh, you know, I think most people who come into mental health come from some kind of personal experience. Um, and then we fall into the space and we fall in love and then we don't leave, which is basically what happened, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I was a teenager when I first started struggling with my mental health problems. And in my family, mental health was not something that we talked about, um, but I saw it all the time um, in my family members and my parents, and my siblings. There was a lot of undiagnosed mental health challenges and addiction problems and mm-hmm. some other family members where even, you know, had cousins who had schizophrenia, but nobody had the, the language or the ability to talk about what was going on. So even among those who were closest to us, we felt alone, like we didn't you know, know how as a family unit to talk about this um, brain illness that was affecting all of us. Um, so, so I did it. Interesting. <laughs> what can you tell us a little bit? Can you tell us a little bit about Mental Health America, about the organization itself? Yeah, sure. I was introduced to Mental Health America as a network um, back in 2005. We have 200 affiliates across the country, and we're um, the most awesome advocacy organization fighting for people living with mental health conditions. So we're the oldest. We started in 1909 with this man named Clifford Beers, who was locked up in a psychiatric hospital, and he was in Yale. He was a bright man, and he came out. And even back then, he said, the way we treat people with mental illness is it's just wrong and over a hundred years ago started this process of changing the way that we treat people um so mental health america or the national mental health association is you know like the american heart association but for mental health it's our our own network of people trying to fight for change and we also have canadian friends there is a canadian mental health association so it starts to span across the globe yeah it's yeah started different ways, but mostly the lens is around people, right? Um, We care about people who are living with mental health conditions, and this is what we fight for every day. That's excellent. And so can you tell us what kinds of programs and services do, do you offer? Gosh, our network offers everything from... A warm line, it's a a warm space, a phone call you can call and just talk to somebody and not necessarily Mm. need to be in crisis. Um, We have navigator programs, say you're lost and you just need to go and find somewhere to go. We do this digitally online. Um, Some of our affiliates do this by phone. Um, Some of our our affiliates provide direct services to school-based services, homeless services, counseling, therapy, um, you know, like full-scale wraparound teams Um, at MHA National I run a digital program so our big focus is on filling in the gaps for people who are lost out in the digital sphere so anybody who might Google for example am I stressed or depressed might fall into what into our program which is called MHA screening it offers free anonymous confidential mental health screens and then digital based supports Um, Mm. but yeah that's that in a nutshell we're (laughs) 
expand the gamut. That that's you said something that I find uh, very interesting, which is that people don't have to be in crisis. Like people are aware of suicide prevention lines, but people don't yeah. really have to be in that level of crisis in order to reach out to someone. Which I think that most people probably do not know. So maybe later on we could talk about how we can get the word out, or how you you try and get the not you personally, but the organization tries to get yeah. the word out to let people know that because I mean I myself have gone through issues where it you know times where probably it would have been a good idea if I had somebody that I could pick up the phone and and talk Mm -hmm. to I mean that's that's um, many people have that time in their lives or going through some experience where that would probably be helpful to have that kind of support that's right and that's maybe all you need is five minutes or ten minutes to talk to somebody um, and get that piece of information off your chest and you don't necessarily need, you know, 12 sessions of therapy. You just need to talk to somebody right right now. Right. I think people are afraid of that, actually, that that if they make a phone call, that somebody is going to tell them you need to go talk to a psychotherapist, sign up. They don't have insurance. (laughs) They don't know how they'll pay for it. Yeah. And and that's a real, uh, real serious concern. So people struggle, I would say, probably in silence. And because there is probably still a stigma associated with mental illness, despite all the, um, um, I'd say the information that's out there and the the attention, some of the attention that's been given to it. Um, years ago, it was probably even more so, but because there is that stigma, people have that, uh, that fear, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we and we like to flip the narrative to really call it what it is. So, you know, it's not stigma, it is fear. What is the fear? What is the barrier that you're dealing with um, to stop you from getting well? And there are lots of different barriers people have, um, both, you know, financial, economic barriers, but also emotional barriers, like just... Not necessarily, you know, oh, I'm I'm afraid per se. Sometimes we just are afraid of not knowing what's going to happen. Like Mm. we get a lot of people who ask us, what is therapy like, you know? Mm. And and, And just like, where do I go? This system is so complicated. I'm not even sure where to start. Um, Mm. So people want a lot of help, but our system is really complicated and it makes it challenging for people to figure out how to access services. Mm, It's not readily out there. What kind of, uh, since we're talking about older adults, what kind of situations do you see that result in mental health issues uh, for older adults? So... You know, our brain is an organ just like every other part of our body. So whatever it is that we bring in from childhood, from our middle age, all of that stuff gets exacerbated, right, as our brains age. So I heard a new mention, dementia, and, you know, you have schizophrenia. Everybody is kind of at risk of developing mental health challenges as they get older because that's the natural part of our brain's trajectory. Hmm. But that's said, you know, we know that older adults are at 
special risk of certain changes in life that can make things worse, um, but then have mental health problems go unidentified. And a big example is moving into a facility or Mm. or losing your home, right? Feeling Mm. the loss of autonomy and control over yourself, whether because your brain is letting go or because your children have stepped in and told you, you you need to stop driving and you don't feel like you had a lot of control yes. over that decision. Right. Um, I saw a lot of that in my work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, and, you know, I'm a child of, of elderly parents. So, you know, we can be impatient with our parents sometimes and not really attend to what it must feel like as an adult and someone who used to be abled and, and, and to be so independent. And then just to feel like a lot of that is ripped out from us. And yes. if an older adult is upset, then it's, it's seen as defiance. Or if they're quiet, it's just not, we don't necessarily identify that as a depressed issue because once you're in a facility, you're just compliant. And, uh, you know, Mm. people are like, oh, well, I'm not going to talk to you because why stir that pot, you know? And uh, I was thinking, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but I was thinking of something else no. as well, um, which is, is, is uh, not only... Uh, I'll say depression. I don't want to diagnose it, but you know, loss of independence, loss of autonomy. There's, uh, they actually through your life, um, they say selling a home and moving from a home is, is one of the major contributors to depression, to grief. It, it's really very impactful. People don't even realize it um, until it happens or until they're in that situation. But I was thinking that there's also grief associated with loss of friends and family who of your own age group who have maybe passed away or facing your own mortality there's there's got to be I, I would assume some depression or grief that goes along with that absolutely anytime we're grieving um, there's you know there's that entry of time in our lives where we start to lose all of our friends around us and depending on the narrative you have around that loss or whether or not you've had the ability to grieve, you know, at all. I think those are protective or risk factors that can make mental health problems worse. And so if you think about one person experiencing a lot of loss all at one time, these are absolutely challenges that can contribute to worsening mental health problems. Yeah. You know, interesting that you say that because, um, I was born when my parents were quite a bit older than I was, and my father especially was the youngest person in his family, and um, there was a period of time when I was a teenager where there were many people who passed away in a short period of time, and... um, which was followed by my father passing away when I was a teenager unexpectedly. Mm. And so I, exp- I I understand what that feeling could be, um, especially when you get older and now you're experiencing more of that and then facing your own mortality on top of that. Yeah. And your loss of house and moving somewhere you didn't want to move and not being able to access resources you were 
accustomed to. So it can get, it can pile on. It can be heavy. For sure. Like I think it's also a loss of mobility at times as well, or certain senses, or you know, the impact of a certain illness that can cause any kind of another issue, for example, diabetes, just throwing it out there, diabetes, and what if you have like a leg amputated or something. So just just your life, like, you know, being a person who is really independent once upon a time, all of a sudden now has lost not only some of the more tangible items, but also just in terms of health. And or your memory, right? Oh, your memory, a huge one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing so, that you're so many people feel frustrated because they know they should remember something and and that that is a grief as well yeah, you know yeah. Just- yeah, I, I tell people when I work with uh, families of people who have uh, dementia that if they could r- picture a time when they're trying to think of something, and we've all had that. You say it's on the tip of my tongue, and maybe you can't remember it at that moment. You'll say, oh, I'll remember it probably in the middle of the night, or three hours later you remember it. But how would it feel if you could actually never remember that? Mm-hmm. And that's the reference that I give people because when you can never remember it and you know you're not going to probably be able to remember it, that's that's a whole different level of, of sadness, I would assume. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's been very frustrating. And I think that it's just one of those things that the more we talk about it and the more we, I think we need to give a, be a little bit patient, you know, with our friends and family who are experiencing that. Because I think from... Um, for from us as a, a person who's communicating with that individual, um, it could be frustrating for that person as well, not for that person not to remember uh, what they are trying to remember, but for mm. us to be more patient with that. And I think there's lots more we can talk about, but I think we're ready for our first break. Absolutely. So um, I guess we'll continue the conversation when we return. Exactly. So you listen to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment, and we'll be right back. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the show. Today we are speaking with Teresa Nguyen from uh, Health... Mental Health, health America. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And we're all talking everything to do with mental health. So welcome back to the show. Uh, take it away, Phyllis. Okay, so Teresa, um, what I'm I'm thinking about, ask, you know, that listeners might be interested in hearing about is um, maybe some underlying um, issues that contribute to mental health Uh, problems in older adults or three key areas uh, that you see that are issues for older adults that have mental health issues? Yeah, sure. So when you're thinking about your brain, you know, sometimes we want to bucket things and and what we think makes sense. Um, And in mental health, you often hear illnesses like depression or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but it's very hard with labels because, well, unless you're a doctor, it's very hard to understand like what specific illness you have. And with with family members, what I like to orient people towards is just, you really want to pay attention to the changes in a family member's or their thoughts, the things they're saying to you, and ask yourself, you know, does this sound like what my mom would normally sound like? Is something changing here that signals to me that something is developing in her mind um, that is a sign of a, a progression of an illness, right? And what what's a problem in science is that we also will see, for example, with psychosis, which is when you're, you see things that aren't there or hear things that aren't there. It's very complicated because even in dementia or Alzheimer's, a person can have symptoms of psychosis. They might see things that aren't there, talk to people that aren't there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that person has schizophrenia, right? It Mm -hmm. means that they're having symptoms associated with Alzheimer's, but those are still mental health problems. And bringing up these changes is what a family member could do to help advocate for their family member and let a doctor know, you know what, this is not normal for my mom, right? Like, I I feel like something is changing here. Um, Similarly with depression, it's common for people to be sad and go through grief, but 
do you know, do you ask your family member and say, I know that this is a sad time, but do you think that you're more sad than normal? Like, do you think that maybe mm. something else is going on? And just to start having that conversation and allowing our family, family members the space to talk about these challenges is the first important step that a person can do to start unpacking the complications yeah. I'm, I'm mental illnesses are. I'm thinking that something that you just said about starting the conversation that's such a, a difficult area for a lot of people about many aspects in changes in life for people that get older. Uh, you mentioned something earlier about um, um, people who who can no longer drive and uh, people who yeah. don't want to have that conversation. I think it was you said it or a new, I wasn't quite sure. Um they don't even want to have that conversation. I read a statistic a while ago that 40% of people rather have a conversation with their older parents about funeral arrangements than about taking their keys away and <laughs> telling them that they're, they're no longer able to safely drive. So I would yeah. assume that these conversations are also very delicate conversations to have. They are delicate, and I what I have seen or personally experienced, there's some level of denial that comes with that as well. And so um, I, I, I agree this is a very delicate conversation to have. But what happens if, you know, you want to speak to a family member's doctor about behavior, uh, changes in behavior, and you've sp- spoken to that family member or friend, whatever it may be, and they're not willing to accept it. So what, how do you deal with that? Well, and, you know, I think the hardest part is when a family member might not want to talk about it, but they don't have the capacity to even talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you're not mm-hmm. sure how it's best to advocate. And in that in that case, I would say really lean into the provider as a source of support to help make the decision about what you can do with, with for example, extreme changes in mood or in terms of psychosis, right? Like, are there medication changes that can help with something like that to bring clarity? Um, the interpersonal part is hard when the person might not be aware that they're depressed or they bring their own fear. So if you say, I think that you're depressed and someone reacts, and says, I'm not crazy. You know, that's always our fear. It's like, mm. oh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to label you here. I'm yeah, checking in, you know. And um, a, a tip for me is like, uh, you know, if you if you are afraid to use words, eventually we want you to get there. Um, but don't, you don't need to start there. You know, start with your concern. Start with your care. I just want to check in with you. You know, do you think there are things mm. we can do to make things better? Um, because all of those questions impact mental health. You don't need to force someone to identify as someone who has depression to still help them, right? Um, And so sometimes we get into the the trap and that can be a hard space. So, um, you know, you know, you know, your family members best, you know, yourself best. Uh, The worst thing we can do is ignore it, which is what I think we tend Mm, to do. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a tendency... Right. No. <laughs> I think there are also a tendency to use words, uh, just the way you said that that label things, yeah. and that becomes um, that becomes a little bit of a, a um, of an issue. For instance, um, 
I was talking with Anu about this, and Teresa, you and I touched on it the other day in the conversation also. You know, we, we tend to say the disabled instead of people who have disabilities or, um, you know, schizophrenics instead of people who have schizophrenia. Um, I, I uh, was giving the example to Anu earlier that people who need help with feeding as they decline in their in their abilities um, in nursing homes very often are referred to as feeders and that's really uh, um, frowned upon as being very demoralizing and dehumanizing and you're you're really supposed to say people who need assistance with feeding or people who are dependent in feeding and too often we use these labels and I think the labels set up a mindset of of what it means when you hear those words what's your opinion on that Teresa? Yeah, anytime somebody feels um, like an other, that's something you don't want people to to feel like. Um, But certainly, we have fought for a long time to not have terms like schizophrenics, right? We were people with schizophrenia or living with schizophrenia. Um, And so, and it's very true that part of it is I don't want my, my illness to be who I am. I have an illness. But I'm Teresa, mm-hmm. right? I'm right. Dr. Russia. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's the same thing. The rental. Absolutely, and I think that's what what people within the disability community also um, advocate for as well. Um, so for myself, I, I live with complete vision loss, and so it's not like. I'm blind and that's, that's who I am. And that becomes like my entire narrative. It just like, I'm a new and I, I happen to be living with vision loss. So I think language really plays a huge role in how we define um, whatever kind of thing we're dealing with, you know? Yeah. And, and it sets up our attitudes. Numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And and society society in general has a tendency to do that, and that's where I think part of the stigma comes from. Um, yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, desire to name something, um, to put something in a box that would make sense for us. Um, part of that labeling trap is sometimes when we 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 won't help someone until they say that they have a problem. Right, we see this very commonly in addiction issues. Like, I'm not going to help you until you say that you're an alcoholic. <laughs> mm, yeah, or you know, I'm I'm not going to help you unless you. And and there's something about families too, where we really want our family members to own up to their junk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And so> that trap. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why is it so? Why do I have to make my mom say the words, the special words, and somehow I can't, I can't move forward hmm. unless she does it. And that can, that can be its own kind of trap that we we get stuck in and can be damaging because then nobody's moving forward. Mm. But I think that um, as with um, with many areas of, um, I'll say, dependence, which there are schools of thought that that is part of a mental illness, uh, and I you could address that if, if you'd like. And sometimes addiction um, doesn't appear until old, later years also, uh, that the person really does have to acknowledge it to some degree in order for them to be able to receive help. Isn't that correct? Oh, you know, there are lots of schools of thought, and um, some, and, and this is true for 
the, the framework that I'm thinking about that especially highlights this is around motivational interviewing as a technique. And so it really says we, if you are so bound by your rule that someone has to identify as an addict to get well, then you miss the opportunity to help them get to that part by just being present, right, first. Hmm. So hmm. the, the person will eventually get to that place where they recognize that they have a problem, but we sometimes get so stuck in our desire to fix problems that hmm. we can't, we're not where our family members are at, you know, like, I want my mom to act differently than she does, and I can get frustrated about, you know, where she's at instead of just saying, where are you coming from? And let me just be there with you a little bit, like with grief, you know, maybe people grieve for a lot longer than we we feel comfortable or want them to, but that's not fair. We, it's, hmm. you know, people have their own process and they take their time. So it's not an all or none. It's, it's, a, it's a reflection of the process. Mm. Well, that's that's well known. Destination. That's well known about grief. Everybody grieves in their own in their own time frame, and, and in their, their own, own manner. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. They move through the stages. Of, oh, um, the the Kubler Ross stages of grief. And everybody moves through them at different at their own pace. There's yeah, no rule. That's right. And if we Um, offer the same, that's a good context for depression, for example, or even addiction. I have my own process for accepting (laughs) that I have a problem, but it is a process. And sometimes we don't give that same um, empathy to those those other problems that we have in our lives that we can do with grief. And so I think that's a great parallel. Hmm. So, Teresa, can you tell us a little bit about some of the uh, types of therapy or practices that a person can um, go through when they are getting receiving support? Yeah, and you know, the internet is a great place. So, if somebody is just struggling and not sure, I really encourage you to go to. Um, on the internet and just start looking up, learn more, mm-hmm. figure things out. And you know, the internet can feel like a scary place, but I do see a lot of older adults come to our website, take a mm-hmm. mental health screen, read about resources. Um, and you can also, um, you know, you can do that for a long time and learn things and build up information and confidence before you you take some next steps and maybe see a therapist, right? Um, so, and that's a great place for resources but we also mentioned warm lines so if you google Mm -hmm. warm lines you can find a warm line in your community there are also a couple national warm lines you just call that phone number it generally is toll free and you can speak to people Uh, many of our staff members who sit on warm lines say they have conversations for five minutes 15 minutes Mm -hmm. 20 minutes Mm -hmm. there's no limit but it is just like you're calling that number for that day Mm. And does your organization offer any types of support groups? Because, you know, we all respond to um, therapy and support in different ways. So does your organization offer any types of support groups? Absolutely. So um, if you go to and you go to the Internet and you Google Mental Health America, you might find an affiliate that's local to your community. They offer different services depending on each community's needs. Um, But you can go to our main website at www.mhanational.org and there's also a map there that you can look up um, where our affiliates are. We also provide a slew of resources online. 
Mm, that's excellent. Uh, do they have? Do are there offices or uh, in like every state or every region? Yeah, um, we have two hundred affiliates across the country. Mm-hmm. So oh. you 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 might find a an affiliate close enough to you, just depending on where you live. Um, But as I said, you know, if you don't, then we sometimes fill the gap in for national organizations. We often partner with other nonprofits in the community um, to provide services to that, to each community. So if, if somebody is having difficulty in difficulty in this, this area and they know of someplace near where they live, can they walk in and get help? Many of our affiliates have walk-in services, or if you call, I, calling can be hard because a lot of people can call, but you, if you go onto the website and look at what specific services people offer, we often put our support groups online, um, or if they offer traditional therapy or counseling, that might be online as well, um, or, or at least the website will provide a directory of resources that you can use, um, and as I said, if you're not sure you want to walk in somewhere, there are a handful of phone-based services that you, you can access as well. But yes, in in each community, there are often places that you can you can go to in person. And I I'm assuming that if somebody does make a phone call, that it's anonymous. Is that For correct? Warm lines, yes, anonymous. Yeah. 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 And free. Mm-hmm. That's great. And so, Teresa, as we're just nearing the end of our little chat for today what is one message you would like to give out to our listeners before we end off um have hope and we say fight in the open you know whatever it is that you're struggling with be okay with telling your story and asking for help and the more we all do that as a community the more we realize that more of us are out there struggling sometimes alone than we think and through that process you build community and you find a new way forward hmm. I that's think that's excellent. that's excellent advice because uh, as we said we, we, we all are uh, know what our own issues are and we sometimes think until we talk to somebody else and hear that they have maybe similar issues or another issues, we think we're the only person struggling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely. Thank you very, very much for coming on and, and having this conversation. That's, I think this is, like I said, this is a very big topic and, and we'd love to have you come back again and we can maybe narrow down some specific conditions and, and talk more. So thank you so much again. And, and if our listeners want to check out Mental Health America's website, it's www.mhanational.org. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Teresa. We'll be right back in a few moments on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with Anu on mental health issues. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program... Please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to the show. Wasn't that terrific, Anoop? It was amazing. It was really great. And I mean, like, it's such a big topic, but I think we all have to start somewhere at the end of the day. And so it was great to have Teresa on to talk about um, mental health and especially about uh, the organization as well. Absolutely. And what uh, they offer. I've, uh, I've been working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities, as I've said many times mm-hmm. on the air. Yeah. And, of course, I've seen this so many times, but probably um, times when it's not been recognized. People are, uh, she brought up a very important point. Mm-hmm. Um and I talk about this a lot uh, in during my work with people in in facilities. Is that, that people are sad? They've lost their independence, their autonomy, their decision making ability. Uh, maybe somebody told them they had to move into this place, and they've mm-hmm. lost their home, their freedom, their independence. And um, um, some people I've heard say many times they feel like they're in jail or a prison, and um, it's it's not a nice feeling. Um, and of course, those impact your mood and your mental status. And your yeah, your state. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I and I think that there's different levels and degrees of that as well. What comes to mind is depression. Like someone can say, "I feel depressed," you know, but right. There are different levels of that. There are some levels of depression where you just feel sad or down for a a couple of days or a a week or two, but then you kind of snap out of it. But Uh then, you know, it can get to the extreme where a person can't even get out of bed. Right. 
And that's when it's totally debilitating. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about, about this issue in, um, in older adults. So mm-hmm. approximately 15% of adults age 65 and over suffer from some kind of mental health issue. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really realize the magnitude of this issue in the older population. Uh, as she said, there are underlying issues associated with people who have dementia and mm-hmm. the number of people that are affected with dementia is expected to triple in the next 30 years. Uh, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge Increase. number. It, yeah. It's going to, um, um, as a matter of fact, the proportion of the world's older adults is supposed to double from 12 to 22 percent from 2015, which we're already past, yep. Yep. to 2050. That's yeah. like from 900 million to 2 billion people. I know, I know, and it makes you it makes you wonder: Are we are we equipped? Are we equipped for this to to treat um, this particular condition alone, uh, dementia? I mean. I remember even 10 years ago, I did not hear much about dementia. I'm sure obviously it it existed, but Mm -hmm. in the last 10 years, um, definitely I'm hearing more and more about dementia and obviously working with the individuals that I have, hearing about it more and more. And so are we really equipped to support those who are um, experiencing dementia and also are we equipped to support families correct Uh, it's really a public health issue it is and um, it really should be in my opinion elevated to that status as far as a national conversation that's actually one of my goals is to really bring this to light on a on a much more widespread national level, mm-hmm. just as we have other issues, whether it's, um, you know, uh, heart disease or um, um, what else? I'm, cancer. The op- <laughs> cancer, you know, yeah. the, the, the op- opioid crisis. Opioid. Yeah. I mean, this is real. This really ranks up there. And as, as you just said, and, and as we yeah. know, actually there's a t- statistics that a statistic that in the United States alone, by the year 2035, the over 65 uh, population the persons over 65 will outnumber the people who are 18 and younger that's right that's right exactly so it's it's a huge percentage of the population and um you know we we all the there are people that are actually have some of these underlying conditions a good portion of their lives and then they're mm-hmm. exacerbated when they get older when they're experiencing all these other changes in their life yeah, absolutely. You know, one one thing we didn't get a chance to speak with Teresa about, but it's um, anxiety. And anxiety right. is a condition that so many people experience, um, not only elders, obviously, but people from, of all ages. Um, but I can imagine um, as an elder and if you're dealing with anxiety, like you may not have never dealt with, ever dealt with anxiety in the past, but you could start experiencing anxiety due to changes as well. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, anxiety disorders 
um, affect about 4% of the older population. Mm-hmm. And very often, this can also lead to substance abuse. Yes. Yes, that's true. It's true. And so it's like, again, like it, this is just not to be taken lightly. And I think um, I, I wanted to talk more about this. I didn't get a chance, but it was about denial. And, you know, it's one thing for a family member to want to support, whether it's a parent or a friend or whoever it may be, in terms of seeking support. But a big part of it is about addressing it and to acknowledge that, yes, I am dealing with something uh, in that, you know, whether it's like a behavior, a change in behavior or um, a feeling, but a lot of it is about uh, acknowledging it first. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the last few shows we've had kind of had a little bit of a progression to them. And last mm-hmm. week's show was on elder abuse. And, um, about one in six older people experience some form of elder abuse. Mm-hmm. And elder abuse also leads to depression and anxiety. Yes, it so does. It, it, they really all come together in, in a way that um, most people just aren't, as we said, aren't thinking about or realizing that it really is part of a part of a picture that elder people face once they get to be a certain age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for elders who live in um, a facility, so like whether it's assisted living or long-term care, it's one thing for a, a person to be living at home and they have family around who can support, but what about when you're living in a facility? How does that play out? You would you would be able to speak to this because you have worked in various facilities. How, what's your experience with that? In terms of um, people who are experiencing these yeah. issues and don't have family who yeah. can help them with it. Um, well, as I said, uh, very, very often it's... Um, sometimes it's recognized if you have um, people who are really attuned to the people that they're caring for they recognize changes in behavior um, attitude, mood uh, appetite we didn't even address that 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 people's appetite changes uh, as their mood changes that's well known kind Mm -hmm. of sometimes people who are depressed overeat sometimes people who are Mm -hmm. depressed don't eat enough right and especially as you're older, you need your nutrition to sustain your health and well-being. Um, I would say that uh, as we were talking about stigma associated with language, mm-hmm. that, that that goes along with that sometimes. So people get identified um, with, with different words rather than people looking seriously at what they're experiencing and trying to address those issues. And that's unfortunate, yeah. very, very, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just as we talked about dementia, people who have strokes, people who have Parkinson's disease, mm-hmm. uh, there are many neurologic uh, issues or impairments that also can affect mood, depression, and um, 
I'm sure people there are people who have seen commercials that hallucinations can go along with Parkinson's. Um, there there are associated uh, issues that go along with these neurologic impairments. And if people aren't aware of that, they just label those behaviors and just think those people are crazy or and not treating the the underlying issue that really is associated with that condition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, it's a it's a big it's a big conversation, which I keep redundantly saying. But um, it, um, I I'm hoping that we have shed a little bit of light on the topic of mental health today for our listeners and have given them something to think about and some tools and resources. Um, I was just sort of thinking about what can we do immediately to support um, anyone that we uh, have witnessed who might be experiencing anything like depression, anxiety, or any of these kinds of conditions. I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, as she said, I think it's important to start a conversation and to start a conversation in a empathetic way yes in a very careful compassionate way rather than in an accusatory way absolutely or a critical way or a uh, labeling way mm-hmm. and I think also just to show your support to say I'm only bringing this up because I care and I'm and I'm concerned rather than like you're saying not just to accuse the person but say I'm really concerned about you and and I what I often think about is uh, helping the person improve their quality of life absolutely I think these are very as we said before delicate conversations family Mm -hmm. dynamics play a huge role in these situations in these conversations so if people weren't comfortable having these kinds of conversations before or they weren't able to have them it might be a good idea to seek out help from a a clergy person a a doctor um a trusted advisor in the family or a family friend that can maybe um, kind of bridge the gap to start this conversation and open up the topic because it isn't easy. Uh, It isn't an easy discussion for people to have. No, it's true. And I mean, not all families have the dynamics where they can just say, okay, let's sit down and have a chat. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think having a third party intervene is a great uh, piece of advice because it it is something very um, sensitive and it could trigger. It could definitely trigger. Absolutely. Uh, especially if a person is not willing to accept their reality. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. I, I, I want to say one other thing, which is, it just came to my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this would... Um, how this could be initiated, but people in the community, you know, in the last minute we have left, mm. as pe- as people become aware that there are more older people in the community, I think people have to be responsible for people in their community. So if they see changes, let's say somebody in the post office or the local I don't know, pharmacy sees somebody coming in and there are obvious changes in their mood or their behavior or their, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, level of self-care that there may be people in the community that can be alerted. But we we don't have much more time. We're, yeah. we're actually uh, coming to the end of the conversation. I, I yeah. think we will have to revisit it. But um, Anu, thanks so much for sharing the time with me today. It was really great. And, Thank you. It's um, my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And, I'm, and as I sign off, I just want to say we're wishing you all good mental health. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So join us next week on the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. Thank you.